From the state capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capital Report. And I can promise you this, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's a six-week ban, but it's really, for all intents and purposes, a near-total abortion ban. Personally, I don't think that children should ever be allowed to transition. I believe that it's an adult decision. Florida lawmakers are back in Tallahassee for their annual 60-day lawmaking session, where hot-button culture war battles are taking center stage. Governor Ron DeSantis is planning a potential presidential bid. Florida's again in the national spotlight. And from the fourth floor of the Capitol Rotunda, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. Rambana and Ritchie, immigration attorneys concentrating on complex immigration across the nation from Florida's capital and their mobile office. Self-sponsored green cards, I-9 compliance, and deportation defense. Rambana and Ritchie, on the web at rambana.com. And from a grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care on the web at searcylaw.com. This is Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan, and today at the Capitol, legislative leaders and the governor voice their priorities for the upcoming 60-day session. An even more restrictive abortion bill than the one now before the state Supreme Court hits the hopper, and the governor applauds recent restrictions on gender-affirming therapies in Florida. Florida Republicans aren't waiting on the state Supreme Court to weigh in on the state's 15-week abortion limit. They're out with a plan to lower the cutoff to six weeks. Lynn Hatter reports the bill came out today, the first day of the lawmaking session. Florida Planned Parenthood Director Laura Goodhue says she's been anticipating an abortion bill to eventually come out. You know, the more extreme version, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's a six-week ban, but it's really, for all intents and purposes, a near-total abortion ban because most people don't even know they're pregnant before six weeks. The issue did play a role in the midterm federal elections with Democrats maintaining control of the U.S. Senate. But when it came to Florida's elections, Republicans ran the table. And with that newfound power and a legislative supermajority, they're looking to take advantage of it. Republican Senator Aaron Grawl's bill would lower the abortion limit to six weeks. It includes exceptions for rape and incest. And that follows the GOP's focus on family issues. We must defend the right to life for thousands of boys and girls who deserve to experience life. As the six-week abortion bill rolled out, Florida House Speaker Paul Renner was promoting what he called, quote, the most pro-family tax relief in Florida history. It includes making permanent a sales tax break on diapers and other kids' supplies, among other policies. Too often, the welfare system punishes parents working hard by abruptly taking away government benefits when they earn a few extra dollars. No family should ever have to choose between a pay raise and their children's health care. Goodhue believes those pro-family promises are a smokescreen for what she says is a deeply unpopular agenda around abortion. There's a number of actions that the legislature could take that would make a meaningful difference for people um, who want to raise their children. Instead, they're filing laws that make it harder for us to plan if and when we even want to be parents. Should the six-week limit become law, it'll likely end up before the Florida Supreme Court. 
Prior iterations of that court have tossed most abortion limits because the Florida Constitution contains a higher threshold for privacy than the U.S. Constitution. But the makeup of Florida's high court has changed. And should the six-week limit become law, the current lawsuit against the state's 15-week limit could get tossed out. I'm Len Hatter. Governor Ron DeSantis had a central theme to his fifth State of the State address before the legislature, simply... Florida is number one, and working together, we will ensure that Florida remains the number one state in these United States. The governor ticked down a host of reasons he believes Florida tops all other states. He cited the rapid response to Hurricane Ian, cutting taxes and tolls to fight inflation, firing recalcitrant prosecutors and offering bonuses to lower law officers from other states, and fighting wokeism in the state's classrooms with the help of concerned parents like Orange County's Alicia Ferrand because she saw that there was inappropriate material in her children's library and school, things that were even pornographic. So she raised the the issue, Uh, she got a positive result, but she decided to get more involved. And in this past November, she was elected to the Orange County School Board as a parents' rights candidate. Ferrant was among more than 10 citizens in the House gallery name-checked by the governor during his talk, which may qualify as an all-time record. But after running through multiple reasons for Florida's primacy among states, DeSantis told lawmakers that this was just the beginning. November's election results represent a vindication of our joint efforts over these past four years. The results also vest in us the responsibility to lead and provide us the opportunity to shoot for the stars. Boldness, be our friend in this endeavor. We have a lot we need to accomplish. Which led to a rapid-fire laundry list of legislative goals the governor would like to see passed during the 2023 session. There were more than a dozen, including restrictions on pharmacy benefit management firms, tort reform, more public infrastructure and affordable housing projects, some additional water resources protections, allowing doctors to buck the medical establishment, universal school vouchers, bans on gender-affirming care, tougher penalties for fentanyl dealers, further crackdown on illegal immigration, full constitutional carry for firearms, and prohibiting Florida land purchases by anyone connected with the Chinese Communist Party. Governor DeSantis touted a recent ban on some gender-affirming care for minors in the course of his State of the State address today. We get that story from Valerie Crowder. In DeSantis' speech to lawmakers, he highlighted a recent decision by the state's medical board to ban transgender surgery, hormone therapy, and puberty blockers for children. And it's sad that we have to say this, but our children are not guinea pigs for science experimentation, and we cannot allow people to make money off mutilating them. Chloe Cole is now a young adult, but she was receiving puberty blockers at age 13, and she underwent a double mastectomy at age 16. She's now an advocate against allowing these procedures for our children. Cole spoke with WFSU News after DeSantis's State of the State speech. I think Florida is the best in the US right now with, with how they're handling child transition. Personally, I don't think that children should ever be allowed to transition. I believe that it's an adult decision. 
and even then there needs to be a better model of care for dysphoric patients. Tallahassee Democratic Representative Gallup Franklin, who's a pharmacist, says he mostly agrees with the governor's push. In my personal philosophy, that when you're talking about major surgeries like a double mastectomy, those things, I believe, should, should absolutely not be done to a minor child. Now, when it comes to some of the other issues that were brought up, uh, such as puberty blockers as well, uh, that was something that was brought up. And there's times where, you know, there is a medical indication that might require you to have to take testosterone. Families of transgender children have spoken out against the state's efforts to ban gender-affirming care for minors. They argue gender-affirming surgery, hormone therapy, and puberty blockers are potentially life-saving treatments for youths suffering from gender dysphoria. I'm Valerie Crowder. We already heard what Governor DeSantis would like to see over the next few months. Florida's Democratic leaders are pushing back on Governor Ron DeSantis's agenda. They're arguing Floridians need to question what the governor really means when he talks about freedom. And we get that story from Adrian Andrews. Governor Ron DeSantis has made combating a, quote, woke ideology. His major platform and is carrying through all of his policy proposals, from stricter immigration laws to exercising greater control over public K-12 and higher education classrooms. But Senate Minority Leader Lauren Book has questioned the governor's definition of American freedom. Floridians deserve better, and we're here for the next 60 days to fight for each and every one of, the, of those Floridians to give them their version of not only the American dream, but the Florida dream. And that is being healthy, prosperous, and the ability to live truly, truly free. Because we are only as free as those most trapped among us. Leading up to the session last month, DeSantis announced legislative proposal that would repeal in-state public college and university rates for undocumented students. Representative Driscoll opposes the governor's legislation, saying that Florida should be in unity with all citizens. And it's just once again making kids and immigrant families the target of his political ploys. I mean, look, we saw what he did with uh, the flights from Martha's Vineyard or from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. There's no level too low for this governor to stoop. And when you talk about taking away uh, the ability to have education, which we know is the pathway to a good life, uh, the pathway to attain the American dream, it just goes to show you what we've been talking about, this tale of two Floridas. You know, it's, it's that Florida is for some and, and not all is the message that he's saying. Democrats are in the minority this year, while Republicans have a supermajority, giving them far more power than they've enjoyed in the past. Democrats have little power to block legislation they don't like, but they're planning to use their voices and all their means that can call attention to issues that believe aren't good policies for the state. I'm Adrian Andrews. Here's a look at what's coming up on day two of the Florida legislature's regular session. In the House, the Ethics, Elections, and Open Government Subcommittee will consider a change in school board residency requirements. A bill provides that candidates for county school boards don't have to live in the district they're running in until they assume office. The same panel will take up a proposal to make school board races partisan. The change would amend the Florida Constitution, so if it passes the legislature, it then needs voter approval. District school board members have been elected in nonpartisan races since 2000, but partisan elections were in place prior to that. The proposed change would go into effect in 2026. 
The Commerce Committee will consider an expansion of the State Board of Administration's ban on ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance factors in state investments. The bill would apply to all funds invested by state and local governments, including money held in retirement plans. ESG aligns an investment strategy to environmental and social values. Republicans have targeted ESG standards for taking into account issues such as racial inequality and climate change. In the Senate, the Education Appropriations Committee will take up a bill that includes a major expansion of school vouchers. It lifts income caps for K-12 scholarships that can be used to attend private schools or for other educational purposes. The bill also reduces regulations for public schools and removes some barriers to teacher certification. The Senate Rules Committee will consider a proposal to shorten the time that a property owner has to sue a builder for alleged construction defects. And the full Senate is scheduled to hold a floor session. That's some of what's coming up at the Capitol. I'm Gina Jordan. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Brendan Brown, Valerie Crowder, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, and Margie Menzel. Our podcasts are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30, wherever you get your podcasts. And on many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in each Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. I'm Tom Flanagan. We get technical assistance from Taylor Cox. This is Capitol Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. And from Rambana and Ritchie, immigration attorneys concentrating on complex immigration across the nation from Florida's capital and their mobile office. Self-sponsored green cards, I-9 compliance, and deportation defense. Rambana and Ritchie, on the web at rambana.com. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.